0: All right, hey guys, we're jumping right in, because there's a lot to try and cover today, okay? Um, last week, if you were not here, Joe did an awesome job doing, giving us an overview of the book of James, okay? So we're spending a couple weeks, we're going through the book of James Um, In God's Word. Uh, Once again, Joe did an overview last week. It was great. I would encourage you to listen to it um, online if you weren't here. Um, One of the things Joe pointed out, and this is just kind of a theme that we're going to come back to over and over again as we go through James, but it's this idea that your identity determines your activity. Okay? Your identity determines your activity. Once again, we're going to. We're gonna run through that filter a lot as we go through the book of James. Um, Now, we live in a world, and it's very tempting to fall in line with the world, um, but the world gets this backwards, okay? We live in a world where people, um, they try to control their identity by prioritizing and focusing on their activities. But if we're not careful, we get so focused on trying to create our identity By focusing on our activities, we actually lose sight of who we really are, or maybe we end up trying to avoid who we've allowed ourselves to become, okay? But once again, we're going to come back to this a lot. Your identity determines your activity. So with that in mind, let's look at the passage we're looking at today. We're in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Um, We're skipping verse 1 because verse 1 was a big part of what Joe covered last week, Once again, encourage you to go listen to it if you haven't. So here's verses 2 through 12. It says, this is God talking to us, my friends. Okay, this is God talking to us. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to them. But when they ask, they should believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. They are double-minded, unstable in all they do. The person in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. The rich man should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. Because the sun rises with scorching heat, it withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even as he goes about his business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that Jesus Christ has promised to all who love him. Okay, Lot there, so like I said, we're jumping in. I wanna go back to verses two through four. I'm gonna highlight three things that I think are really important and help breaking down this passage as a whole, okay? So here's verses two through four. It said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, All right, so I don't know if you noticed, I I underlined three things. these are three things that I think are intertwined through all of this and they help us understand what God is trying to get at um, as a whole, okay? So those were joy, faith, and perseverance. And so we're gonna look at these three things, but we're actually gonna look at them in reverse order. So that means we're starting with perseverance. What is perseverance? Here's the literal definition, okay? Merriam-Webster um, dot com. So here we go. Perseverance is continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. It's the action or condition or an instance of persevering steadfastness. Okay, now, how many of you can relate with that? Okay, my guess is everyone, all right? My guess is everyone in this room can relate with that definition or at least that level of perseverance. Because we've all probably tried to do or achieve something despite difficulties, opposition, or failure. Honestly, that might be some of you right now. Right now, you're in the middle of a situation that requires perseverance because you're being opposed or something is difficult or you're failing at something. Maybe it's loneliness, family dysfunction, difficulties with your academics or future career Maybe it's an addiction, low self-esteem, apathy, fear, insecurities, right? The list could go on and on. But basically, I think we can all relate with perseverance, at least on this level. All right, but let's go back to the theme. Once again, remember, your identity determines your activity. So I'm not trying to downplay any of the situations that people might be in right now. Once again, if you're in a situation that you're having to persevere through, Just as a separate note, please come talk to us. Come talk to me. Like, that's why we're here, our staff. We want to know. We want to love on you. We want to support you. We want to pray for you. Now, at the end of the day, though, persevering is an activity. And remember, your identity is far superior than your activity. But if we're not careful, we get so caught up in just trying to persevere through the hardships in life that we can actually completely lose sight of our identity in the process. And so I think James, in this passage, he's talking about a type of perseverance here that's not just about getting through a situation or getting through a difficulty. I think there's a a higher level, and he's talking about a type of perseverance where you get through a situation with an absolute confidence in your identity. Okay, So what does it look like to persevere through a situation, not for perseverance sake, not to prove to everyone around you you can get through it. What does it look like to persevere through a situation for the sake of your true identity? Because they're not the same thing. They look different. And so to help us with this, let's go to the next word. What was the next word? It was faith, right? Faith. In verse three, he says, the testing of your faith will develop, it will produce perseverance. But notice, Faith comes first. Perseverance is a byproduct of your faith. It doesn't create your faith. A lot of us might be hoping so. But how you persevere is evidence. Whether you realize it or not, it's evidence of what your faith is already in. And here's the thing everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. It doesn't matter who you are, everyone is putting their trust, they're putting their faith in something. And if you're like, no, I'm not, well, then it's you. Like, you're what you're putting your faith and your trust in. Christians have faith. Atheists have faith. Muslims have faith. Mormons have faith. Everyone has faith. Now, whether or not they can identify where they're putting their faith, that's a different question. But everyone is putting their faith in something or someone. And whatever it is, it affects how you persevere. So, once again, identity determines your activity. Persevering is the activity, but faith is the component that's connected to your identity. So, the question then becomes what or who are we putting our faith in? And the problem is, there are hundreds of options. You guys are bombarded. Like, I feel sorry for you. Like, I thought it was bad when I was young. Like, I feel like it's even worse on your generation. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if you were here, if you remember, but we looked at different systems of value that our culture offers you guys. Okay? And those systems of value, those ways of trying to assign our self worth, those are the same things that we put our faith in. So, just to kind of revisit that list, we are tempted to maybe put our faith in the attention of others right if i if i can just get enough people to recognize me or to pay attention to me and so we go all in on our social media platforms right the likes if we get enough likes we can get enough hits that will somehow magically fix what we're looking for or maybe like there's a deep seated desire for fame or success in whatever our career or our life pursuits are maybe we put our faith in our humor we want to be the funniest maybe it's our intellect we want to be the smartest Maybe it's our strength or our athletic ability. Maybe it's our appearance, right? We think if we can just be prettier or better looking or the prettiest or best looking, right? There's some faith there that, oh, maybe that will help. Maybe it's money, right? As long as our 401k hits a certain amount or where our annual salary is a certain amount, oh, then, finally, then that will be enough. We'll be good, we'll be happy. Maybe it's a relationship with a significant other. Maybe it's a sports team. Or on a deeper level, maybe it's winning. My wife and I, we did foster care for a couple years. We still have a great relationship. We had a boy for about a year and a half. We love him to death. He's like another kid. And thankfully, we have a great relationship with his grandma. And he, we still get him every other weekend. Um, he's six years old at this point. He comes over. It never fails. First thing he does is in the car, he pulls out his tablet. He's got his tablet. Um, and the rules are different. And we have this conversation a lot. Rules at Grammy's house. We love Grammy to death. She's like family, too. Rules at Grammys are different than rules at the Geigers. And so something we do is he knows, hey, as soon as we get home, no more screen time. Like, if we have a family movie night, let's go all in. But, like, we do not sit around just playing video games all day. But it was really funny. I love the honesty of a six-year-old. We were driving home, and we were prepping him for that. Like, hey, bud, finish your game. We're almost back. And he said, why can't I just play video games? And so we started having this conversation with him. And, and at one point, he essentially said, he said, you guys know why I like video games? We were like, why? And he's like, because I like to win and I don't win in real life. And so I wanna, like, this helps me win, right? And so, uh, right, like, there's issues in that, of course, but it helped us see even a deeper issue, right? Winning, if we're not careful, winning becomes our identity. I think that's why sports teams, that's a major struggle for me. Like, but if if we're not careful, winning becomes our identity. That's a huge thing that's wrong with our world. So all that to say, what or who are you guys putting your faith in? What are you guys putting your faith in? Whether you realize it or not, I promise you, it affects how you persevere. I think that's why verses two through three say, it's a good thing when our faith is tested. Because when God tests your faith, It gives you the opportunity, first of all, to realize where your faith is actually at. But then on top of that, it gives you an opportunity to put your faith where it's supposed to be. And so where is our faith supposed to be? Let's go to the other word we highlighted, right? The third word. What was it? Joy. Your faith is supposed to be rooted in the one and only true source of joy. I love that Malia read that passage. We didn't plan that. That was God, right? Joy, that's where your guys' faith is supposed to be rooted, but what does that mean? And it's worth noting real quick, let me note this. The world's idea of happiness that is gonna be very tempting to you guys. Some of you are falling for it right now. We all do at some point. The world's idea of happiness is not the same as the joy God tells us about in here, okay? They're not the same thing. Everyone in America is chasing after all those things I just listed. Remember, attention, wealth, appearance, pleasure, all those things. Our culture idolizes those things and they've gone all in on pursuing them in the name of happiness. And yet we are one of the most miserable countries out there. There There's so many people miserable, so much depression and anxiety, right? And that's because the world's version of happiness is not the same as God's version of joy. So what is true joy? All right, I wish we had more time to go here. I encourage you, read Galatians 5. But I'm gonna, at the end, Galatians 5, specifically verse 22, God tells us that joy is a characteristic, it is an attribute that is only found in the personal presence of God's Holy Spirit, okay? Joy, true joy, can only be given as a gift by God himself, you can read It's in Ecclesiastes as well. It's all through scripture. But you cannot know joy apart from God. So how do we know God? This goes to one of my favorite verses. This is 1 Peter 1, 1.8. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Who is it that we believe in? Who is it that if our faith is truly placed in his existence, then by his grace, by his grace, not nothing on us, in his grace, he fills us with the glorious and inexpressible joy. It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. When we know Jesus because he is truly God's son, he has access to that personal presence of God because he is God. And only he can bring us into that personal presence where true joy, it's the only place true joy really exists. He has to give it to us. In fact, I'm gonna read the verse right before that. 1 Peter 1, 7. This wasn't planned either. This is just the message of God, right? This is the verse right before. This is 1 Peter. We're in James, but it's talking about hardships and trials and faith. But the verse right before the one on joy says, these hardships, remember, hardships are what you have to persevere through. These hardships have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. It says your faith is more value than gold. Guys, your faith is so valuable, but it says if it is proven genuine, you will receive praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's gonna say, I know you. Yeah, you're part of our family. Our faith is meant to be completely rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. If it is, It completely changes how you approach the trials and tribulations in your life. So I'm gonna summarize real quick. Identity determines your activity. Once again, guys, remember, most people get this backwards. We get lost in the temptations of this world and we try to establish, we try to create our own identity. We get so busy in those activities trying to create our own identity, we lose sight of who we really are or we try avoiding who we've let ourselves become Okay, but God is good and he wants to remind us all of our true identity. Okay, what is our true identity supposed to be? It's that you're a child of God. The world will mock that, but it's because they don't believe. If you do believe, guys, that's everything. Your true identity is that you are meant to be a child of God, but we're not worthy to be in the family of a holy God. We're not worthy of that. But because he loves us, because he is good, because he is truly holy, God created an adoption process for us to be brought back into his family. He created a way for us to be reconnected with our true identity. And guys, it's pretty simple. Now, our pride makes it really hard. Our pride makes this way harder than it should be. But if we want our true identity back, if we wanna get back into God's, if we want to be brought into God's family, then he says, hey, I revealed myself to you through my son who I sent in Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, if you surrender to him, if you love and pursue him above all else. Guys, that's what it's all about. If our faith is connected to our true identity, it will change our activity. So your faith is meant to be in the person of Jesus Christ. If it is, how does that change how you approach the hardships and trials in your life? I think that's what the rest of the passage is about. So I'm gonna go through this kind of (sighs) quick. If Jesus Christ is truly where our faith is at, guys, this should be some evidence. So first of all, do you ask God for wisdom? Do you ask God for wisdom? Verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, wisdom is understanding how life is actually supposed to work. Just because we're alive doesn't mean we're doing it right. Okay? Now, this is an extreme example maybe, and it's evil, but at the end of the day, evil exists. Imagine a kid grew up in a home where, let's say parents, once again, this would be evil, but evil exists. And let's say parents, the people that they trusted the most, the only people that they really had exposure to, started teaching them that green is red and that blue is yellow. But once again, this is the only exposure a young kid has for years, right? There's a good chance they become very confident in that reality. But at some point, if they enter a different environment, let's say they go to school, it doesn't matter how much you heard it over and over. It doesn't matter how confident you are. You'd still be wrong. Knowing something doesn't mean it's right. Once again, extreme example, but guys, that's what what happens to us in this life. We turn to all the wrong resources to tell us how life is supposed to work. We have information out the wazoo, but that doesn't mean it's true. God created life. Only God knows how this is supposed to work. But do we actually turn to him? He tries to tell us. It's in his word. It's in scripture. If our faith... If our faith is truly in Jesus Christ, we turn to God, we turn to his word so he can advise us and teach us how to approach the trials and situations that we're going through. So that's the first step, right? If your faith is truly rooted in Christ like it should be, do you turn to his word? Do you turn to scripture? Then beyond that, will you actually trust him? It's hard enough to turn to his word, right? But then once you do, will you actually trust him? Because look at the next couple verses, six through eight. It says, when you ask, when you ask for wisdom, when you ask Jesus to show you how your life is actually supposed to work, you must believe and not doubt because it's gonna be tempting to doubt. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. They are double-minded, unstable in all they do. Powerful language right there, right? Double-minded, unstable. Does that describe you? Or has it ever described you or your life? I know it has mine. It has mine internally, emotionally, spiritually. Have you ever felt like a wave of the sea just blown and tossed by the wind? We all have, and you wanna know why? Because what God tells us about life if you actually seek it out, what he's gonna tell you, the wisdom he will share with you, it is counterintuitive and it is hard to trust because it's the opposite of what everything else is telling us. And it sure seems like the opposite of what everyone else is doing. Nevertheless, guys, truth can only come from God. Do you believe that? And will you actually trust him? No matter how counterintuitive or opposite, it might seem, to what you're used to. So guys, the world, the world is teaching us things that, that are the equivalent to thinking blue is actually yellow, and we're falling for it, and we fight for it. But when we approach God and his wisdom and his truth, it will humble us. When he tells you, no, 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 that's not yellow, that's blue, that's going to be humbling. Are you guys ready for it? Do you want that? His wisdom and his truth will humble us when he confronts us with it. But if we respond accordingly in humility and trust, if we don't, we'll just continue to be blown and tossed by the wind. So real quick, the word for double-minded, I don't know if you heard it. The person that ignores God ends up double-minded. That word there, that's only used twice in the entire Bible. Both times it's by James. And it literally means to be divided in interest. Okay, the word's only used twice, and it means to be divided in interest, which brings me to the last point, all right? If our faith is truly in Jesus Christ, here's another way to test it. Are you guys forfeiting the ways of the world? All right? verses nine through 11 say, say, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Guys, it takes humility to truly know God. It takes humility but as you get to know Jesus, he's all you want. And that is something to be proud of. But then listen to what it says. It says the rich, and it's talking about people who go all in on this world and they try to make themselves rich according to the value systems of this world. It says Those, the rich people, guess what? They should take pride in their humiliation because they're going to pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises with scorching heat. It withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich, the people who are so caught up in this world, guys, they'll fade away even as they go about their business. Remember, double-minded means divided interest. All those things that we listed earlier, pleasure, fame, appearance, wealth, knowledge, attention, autonomy, you cannot be pursuing those things and God at the same time, okay? That's literally like one person trying to go two different directions, at the same time, it's not possible. A lot of Christians, we say we want God, but we also, we really want the world too. But you guys, you can't have both. You can't have both, God wants us to make a choice. You can try, you can't have both, you can try. And as he warns us in verse seven, the person, that person who's trying to have both, they should not expect to receive anything from God, including the joy That only he can offer so in closing right here bottom line is this guys we all have to persevere right because we all go through trials and hardships in this broken rebellious world but whether or not our perseverance leads to authentic joy that's a different question and the key to the difference is where do you place your faith Are you counting on the things of this world to deliver the fulfillment you're looking for? Or do your souls recognize that only the Son of God possesses the wisdom and the mysteries regarding your true identity and your true worth? When we place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, it changes how we persevere. We wholeheartedly, we turn to his word because we wanna learn more about how he intended for all this to unfold and what he intended from us. Not only do we turn to his word, but we actually trust him, no matter how counterintuitive it might seem based on what we've experienced or what we selfishly might want. We trust him and we choose him over that. And ultimately, I think that's proven because, guys, we slowly start giving up all the things the world is chasing after. Because Jesus as we believe in him more and more, is truly actually enough. You won't want anything else. So, the very last verse we haven't covered yet. Here it is, and I'm gonna pray. Very last verse says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because when they have stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that Jesus Christ has promised to those who love him. Okay, I underlined that last part because, just in closing, like, guys, we're still going to be tempted. Like, you could hear this and be like, oh, great message, joy. Yeah, I want joy. And you're still going to try to be in control of your pursuit of joy. And it's going to bring you back to all those same things. Right? I think the biggest indicator, the foundation of all this, is you will love the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, hey, true, the people who will truly persevere in this life, I've got a reward waiting for them. But it's based on true faith in him and whether or not he's real. And so loving Jesus is at the core of all that. All right, let's pray. Jesus, you are real. Forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for our unbelief. And then compounding our unbelief is how easily we chase after silly little facades. But I'm just as guilty as anyone. They are tempting and they are deceiving. Forgive us. Our redemption and our salvation has nothing to do with us. It is your goodness. And so in your goodness, I'm asking you, reach out and save us, redeem us, open our eyes to how good you are. Unfortunately, some people's pride will wanna walk away because we wanna be in control of what good means. We wanna be in control of our identity. But God, our true identity is that we're meant to be your children. And so, um, yeah, I just pray more and more of that is happening. So send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to who Jesus truly is. Jesus, help us just not know about you in intellect. Help us prove that we know you relationally. That means we'll be in your word That means we'll trust you. That means we're gonna act differently than the world. We're gonna approach situations differently because we have your wisdom on how those situations should be handled. And then we're gonna be okay giving up the things that we think bring us value. We're gonna happily forfeit those things as we realize what they are. So bless this group. So glad they're here. Bless all these students. Once again, please send your spirit and power to help them, meet them where they're at. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.